question. How many people grew up in a household that normalized sex? <laughs> How many people grew up in a household uh, where you got to talk and that was about it? How many people got a book? How many people got nothing? <laughs> so, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. We're talking, we're in this series, and the series is called Erasing Shame. And what I'm trying to do is, is we're trying to talk about the fact that, that, that sex is taboo, and sex is not talked about enough, and sex is one of these things that um, uh, uh, we actually create a lot of shame and guilt around, especially when it comes to the church. Now let me ask another question. How many people heard about a sexual ethic uh, or, or some kind of talk about sex through a church experience, their church experience? Okay. All right, a lot of people. Uh, and so maybe it was a good experience, and, and I really, truly hope that it was a good experience when you heard about it through your church. Uh, perhaps it was a more difficult experience. I know in my growing up in the church, uh, our talk about sex and about purity culture was a very difficult kind of shame and guilt-inducing experience for myself. Does anybody feel me? Is anybody with me on that? Okay. There's a few of us. And so what we're trying to do in this series is we're trying to say as Christians, how do we erase shame? How do we erase guilt? And how do we create a new sexual ethic? How do we create a sexual ethic that honors uh, God, that allows us to be the light, that reflects the good news of the gospel? And how do we do that while, while saying that, hey, maybe what we grew up with wasn't that great? Because what we grew up with wasn't that great. I know that when I was growing up, and maybe you feel the same way, I was told that if I acted on my sexual desires, my physical desires, that I was impure. Um, I was told that God lives in my body, and to defile my body meant that I was defiling God. Uh, masturbation was wrong. And in fact, I went to a youth group concert. It was a Christian punk band, and he sang a song about masturbation being wrong. <laughs> and I'll never forget the bridge. The bridge was, instead of masturbating, play a bad guitar solo. And then this dude played a guitar solo. <laughs> and it wasn't rad. <laughs> sexual shame when it comes to the church. And Mira uh, told this story, and I think it's a terrible story. She told a story about how her pastor gave her a piece of paper and said, this is you, and then said, when you uh, act on your physical desires and when you have sex outside of marriage, and he crumpled up the paper, he said, this is what you become, and no matter how much you try to smooth that piece of paper out, you're never the same again. That is damaging. Damaging. If you identify as LGBTQIA, you're told still to this day right now that your sexual, physical, your intimate desires are wrong and uh, broken and sinful before God. That is damaging. That's a lie. That's wrong. But that's what we're told. And so what does this do to us? What does this do to all of us? Well, uh, I have friends who uh, have said to me, they said to me at one point, they said, you know what? Um, with all this talk about uh, sexual shame and, and, and guilt, I remember I got married, and for years and years and years, it was don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, and then in a second, it was like, okay, you're good. And we didn't know what to do with each other. And to be intimate, it just extreme guilt. My wife and I, we grew up in conservative Christian households, and growing up that way, I'll never forget, we had just gotten married, and we went to separate rooms to change out of our wedding dress and our tux, and our collective family, like, laughed at us. They were like, you don't have to, you know, go to separate rooms to change. 
And yet it was at 11 a.m. on the same day, our families would have been absolutely appalled if we had gone into the same room Right? That kind of legalism creates a lot of guilt. It creates a lot of shame. It makes sexual intimacy a very difficult thing. Anybody feel me? Yeah, it's a tough one. Not to mention the fact that uh, we have an industry. And the industry that we have, Judy mentioned this a couple weeks ago when she preached, the industry that we have is built on that insecurity. It's built on that guilt. It's built on that shame. They're like, you're not going to talk about it? We're going to create a whole industry where you can consume sex. And you can consume that and use it in whatever way you want because it's sort of broken and distorted anyway. And you're not talking about it with anything, anybody else. Right? And so it's a billions of dollar industry that allows us to consume sex. And then there's a billions of dollar industry that says don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. It's called abstinence and abstinence only. And yes, it's a billions of dollar industry that perpetuates that idea of don't talk about it. Right? And here's the other thing. We pass that along to our kids. We pass it along to our loved ones. So our children are there and our children are, are you know, figuring out their bodies. And if you're a caregiver or a parent, you know this is true. They're figuring out their bodies and they're touching their bodies and they're saying, my body feels good. And yet we were going, no, stop, don't, 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 don't. Because we don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to handle the shame surrounding our own bodies. Last week, Tina Shermer Sellers was here. She's a sex therapist, and she said something that floored me. She said, when she has clients come into her office uh, surrounding Christ, uh, Christian sexual shame, a lot of them have the same amount of PTSD as a soldier coming back from war. It's that bad. It's that painful. We have to do something about this. Something needs to happen. We need to change this. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm not going to talk about the way we're going to create a new sexual ethic. What I'm going to do today is I'm just going to do our best to simply erase the shame that we might feel around sexual intimacy, around physical intimacy, around our bodies. Y'all game to do that today? Let's do it. And in order to do it, here's what I want to do. I want to uh, just use the definition that Tina used last week in talking about sexual shame. So I'm going to read it for us. It's going to be up on the screen. This is what it says. It says, sexual shame is a visceral feeling of humiliation and disgust towards one's own body and identity as a sexual being and a belief of being abnormal, inferior, and unworthy. This feeling can be internalized but also manifests in interpersonal relationships having a negative impact on trust, communication, and physical and emotional intimacy. Sexual shame develops across a lifespan of interactions with interpersonal relationships, one's culture and society, and subsequent critical self-appraisal. It's a continuous feedback loop. There's also a fear and uncertainty related to one's power or right to make decisions, including safety decisions related to sexual encounters, along with an internalized judgment towards one's own sexual desire. There's a lot. There's a lot there. Now, how do we get to this place? How did Christianity become a place where intimacy, desire, um, our physical selves are, are equated with shame and guilt? Well, I think one of the ways that it happened is through the way we read Scripture. And here's the thing. I love the way we read Scripture. We believe that Scripture is the inspired Word of God. I love that it's the inspired Word of God. Uh, but one of the things that happened, a practice that's really recent in the whole light of history, is that Christians started reading Scripture as an errant. Does anybody know what an errant means? Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, what it means is that you take everything that Scripture says literally as fact, okay? And so that poses a lot of problems when you're taking everything literally as fact. Uh, an example of how that poses a problem, uh, slavery, right? It's talked about a lot in Scripture. It'll say, slaves obey your masters. Well, we know that none of us are for slavery, and if you are, I'm going to ask you to leave. Okay, but, uh, but none of us are for that. So we don't take Scripture literally as fact, and yet sometimes we've been told to read it literally as fact. Okay, there's a bit of a contradiction here. 
And so what happens is we start to read different passages literally as fact, and those passages contribute to issues of shame and guilt surrounding physical intimacy. And I'm going to give you an example of that. And what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to talk about the seven or eight times uh, Paul talks about sexual immorality. Paul's one of the apostles. He wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament. Although, I've done so much studying on that, that's going to have to be a series at some point. We're just going to go through it. It's fantastic. Um, it's hard, but it's fantastic. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Romans 8, 3, 3 and 4. And this was a passage used in my church history to talk about our bodies. Okay, So uh, it'll be on the screen again. Follow along with me here. Uh, this is what it says. It says, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, you can see I left these little annotations there. You see those little annotations? It's not there. Do we, uh, <laughs> do we have it? No. Okay, anyway, in your Bibles, if you want to open them, or scroll in your Bible app, uh, you'll see little annotations. And those little annotations are helpful. What they do is they tell us um, what, uh, what the culture and the context behind the words of Scripture look like. And so when you look at the word flesh, flesh when you look at the word flesh, flesh has a little annotation next to it, which means they want you to read what the word flesh is referring to. When you do that, you look down and it's referring to a word sarx, S-A-R-X. And what sarx means is not flesh. What sarx actually means is a power opposite the Holy Spirit. And we got that power opposite. So if we're going to read this again, we would say, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by a power opposite the Holy Spirit, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a power opposite the Holy Spirit to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the power opposite the Holy Spirit in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the power opposite the Holy Spirit, but according to the Spirit. Do we see why translators were like, whoa, it's a mouthful. Let's change the word to flesh. You see that? Get that? Well, I live in, in a power opposite of the Holy Spirit. I pretty much do that every day. Anybody else? Anytime I sin and want to sin for me, anytime I'm using my power, my power supersedes others. Anytime I'm selfish, my selfishness supersedes others. I mean, I could go on and on. Would you like me to list all my sins? I can do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I live in a power opposite of the Holy Spirit, right? And that's what this is talking about. It's actually a pretty decent passage. But what we read is flesh. And so now what do we believe that we believe this? What we believe now is that this is not a good thing. This is a thing that is anti, right? It's, it's different than what God intends. So now this, this physical body, and everything that comes with it, and all the feelings it has, and all the desires that it has, is not what God intended. That's what we believe. We say, oh my gosh, this thing's not good. And so when I feel a certain way, that must not be a good feeling because it's opposite of what God intended. And when I want pleasure for this body, that's not what God intended. That's what we think. Right? And so what we do is we double down on that theology. And what we do when we double down is we say, not only is this flesh not what God intended, i got to be of the spirit. We've sort of equated mind with spirit. And so i got to be of the spirit. So what we say is this flesh isn't good. And not only that, but there's going to be a time when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, my body's not going to go. My body's temporary. My body is just something like a placeholder. It's a placeholder until we actually get to where we're with Jesus and our soul goes away someplace else. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to physically repress this body. 
and I'm going to decide that this body is not a good thing. And I'm sort of going to hate my body because that's what Scripture tells me to do. It says that the flesh is bad, and I'm just going to stay up here in the mind, in the spirit, and make sure that I'm good with God. And so what we do is we say, God, who created us to be physical beings that desire intimacy, that God doesn't like our physical desires and our intimacy. It contradicts itself. It doesn't work. It's no good. And yet we believe it. And yet there's shame for us. And so what do we do when that happens? Well, we don't give up those physical desires. We don't give up sex. We don't give up a need for intimacy. It just becomes this broken, distorted need for intimacy. And this is what, um, yeah, this is what uh, Esther Perel, who is a counselor, says about this. She says, we want to dissociate physically from the physical act of sex. That's what it does to us. A society that sees sex as soil does not make sex go away. Instead, this kind of anxious atmosphere breeds guilt and shame in its more extreme version, or a generalized discomfort in its more ubiquitous expression. Sex is divorced from emotional and social continuity, and when sexual expression is separated from emotional, social, and spiritual expression, people are denied intimacy with self, with other, and with their God, and the cost has been profound for our clients and for our culture. In a nutshell, what she's saying, in a nutshell, she's saying that, yeah, we're told that this is bad, and because we're told this is bad, we don't stop wanting physical intimacy. We just develop a broken physical intimacy that goes back to that consuming, or that disconnectedness, right? That's what we do. Well, how do we remedy this? How do we erase shame? Uh, there's a pastor, his name is Brian Zahn, and Brian Zahn says, everything that we read in our scripture, we must read through the lens of Jesus Christ. So he'll say that when we read scripture, uh, Moses can never supersede Jesus Christ. If Moses says something, it's Jesus Christ who has the final say over it. Same with Paul. Uh, there's a king named Jehoshaphat, same with Jehoshaphat, right? They don't, that's just a weird name. They don't uh, <laughs> supersede the words of Jesus Christ, right? That, that's the case. And so what I want to do is I want to say, well, what does Jesus say about this whole thing? What does Jesus say about intimacy? What does Jesus say about body? What does Jesus say about desire? What does Jesus say and so I, I, you know, I go through scripture and I look at maybe some like those overt things that Jesus said. And what do we get? Not very much. In Matthew 19, we get this passage, and in this passage, um, Jesus says, don't get divorced unless it's uh, through adultery, that's a sin. And the disciples, they come along and they go, yeah, if, any, you know, if anybody wants to commit adultery or get divorced, they probably shouldn't get married at all. And then Jesus says this, not everyone can accept this teaching, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so for birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, but anyone accept this who can. Wow, Jesus, thanks. That's helpful. <laughs> there's nothing helpful about that. And frankly, there's not a whole lot of good commentary that's helpful about that. If you were going to take scripture literally, like we talked about before, well then Jesus is, is basically saying, if you want to commit adultery, if you want to get divorced, you should probably cut off your genitals, man. Not a helpful thing, right? So a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I talked about um, how our, our WWJD bracelets, raise your hand if you got them on. <laughs> Nobody. Same as a few weeks ago. Um, how they, they hit pretty close to home. They're pretty good. They actually get us closer to where we want to go with this, okay? What would Jesus do or what does Jesus do surrounding intimacy? What does Jesus do surrounding physical body? What does Jesus do? Well, this is where we get really good stuff. Okay? This past summer, I talked to us about um, a woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Is anybody here when I talked about that? Yeah, a few people were here when I talked about it. I thought this was an amazing passage, and it's even more amazing today. But here's why I thought it was amazing, because a Pharisee invites Jesus over to eat. 
He comes in, and a woman comes in who's considered a sinner, and she comes in, and she pours perfume on Jesus' feet, she takes down her hair, and she washes Jesus' feet with her hair, and she kisses his feet. And what I said that time, this this past summer, is this. Um, in Jewish law, Jewish culture, you could divorce a woman without rest restitution for three reasons. Number one, uh, if she committed adultery, which we just talked about, right? Number two, if she was cavorting with numerous men. And number three, you could divorce a woman without restitution if she let down her hair. That's the third reason. In Jewish law, in Jewish culture, hair was such a big deal, and showing your hair was such a sexual thing, that you could divorce a woman over it because it was akin to committing adultery. So what does this woman do? This woman lets down her hair and starts washing Jesus' feet, a sexual act in this culture. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes, stop! Don't do this anymore! <laughs> this is what happens. The host of the party, the Pharisees, got to be super embarrassed, right? He's got to be like, this woman's performing a sexual act, and Jesus isn't doing anything about it. And so he says to Jesus, don't you know this woman's a sinner? Tell her to stop. And Jesus says, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she has been kissing my feet since I came in. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. I tell you that her many sins are forgiven. So she showed great love. But the person who's forgiven only a little will love only a little. Jesus affirms this woman. And what we get in the ministry of Jesus is every single time, Jesus embraces, restores physical intimacy, and at the same time, eradicates shame. Little louder for the people upstairs. Every single time, Jesus embraces and restores physical intimacy and eradicates shame. Every single time. There's this woman, she's been bleeding for years. Years. And, and when we read our scriptures, our scriptures will tell us, if we want to open it up to Leviticus right now, they'll tell us that if you are bleeding uh, and you're a woman, what you need to do is you need to pitch a tent outside of your home. And you need to pitch a tent outside of your home, and you need to stay in that tent until you're done bleeding, and you don't want to touch anybody, and you don't want to be with anybody. That's what Scripture tells us. That's what it says, okay? And this woman's been bleeding for years. Can you imagine being by yourself for years? Can you imagine no physical intimacy for years? No touch for years? Can you imagine? Jesus is walking in this big crowd, and this woman runs up, and she grabs his cloak, and Jesus goes, Who touched me? And this woman comes forward. And Jesus says, oh my gosh, don't you read Leviticus? It says that you're supposed to pitch a tent outside and not be with anybody. Go back to your tent. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. Somebody gets it. No, what does Jesus do? He touches this woman. So when he's not supposed to touch, he touches her. He says, you know what? Your faith, your faith has healed you. Your faith has restored you. Now go and back and be with your family again. Be intimate again. Not people that touch you again. The woman who no one is supposed to touch is Jesus who touches her. And every single time, Jesus restores and embraces physical intimacy while eradicating shame. This is the good news. There's um, this other person, and they're blind. And uh, scriptures tell us that if you're blind, it's because of the sins of your family, sins of your ancestors. And, um, and so this, this blind man is there, and of course everybody who walks by says, uh, you're a simple man because you're blind and Jesus spits in the mud. How many people spit in the mud before? Oh, come on. Not even as a kid? Thank you. I spit in the mud daily. Anyway. 
spits in the mud. He spits in my takes, mixes it up, makes the makes makes mud with spit, takes it, and the sinful eyes, I just simply rubs it on this man's sinful eyes. Rubs this mud. Imagine that man who's sinful is touched in a place where he feels the most shame. And Jesus says, You're healed. Go ahead, go wash that off. You can see again. Because Jesus' ministry is all about restoring and embracing physical intimacy and eradicating shame. That's what it's all about. Should we do one more? <sighs> i got to remember what it is. <laughs> and now I remember. It's about lepers. You all know about lepers? What does our scripture tell us about lepers? You can read it in scripture. It says that they need to shout unclean. And I sort of get this one. It's a few thousand years ago, and you don't want other people getting skin diseases. You don't want that to happen. And so what lepers do is they go and they shout unclean, 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 uh, so that it stops the spread of disease, right? I mean, I sort of get it at that time. But can you imagine if you had a skin disease? Can you imagine the desires that you have? Can you imagine the shame feeling around your body? And can you imagine what it feels like when you're God, right? Because Leviticus is the word of the Lord. When your God tells you that your body is no good to the point where you have to yell unclean. And we get five different instances in Scripture. Five. Where Jesus touches those people. Where Jesus says, I see you. And I touch you. And I'm intimate with you. And I'm physical with you. And you are healed. Jesus' ministry embraces, restores physical intimacy. And eradicates shame every time. So here is the good news for us. The good news for us is if we're standing in this church... And we have been told that because of our sexual desire, because of our sexual activity, because of any of that, if we have been told that we are broken and we're hurt, thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a lie. The truth of the matter is our physical desires, our physical desires, the way that we operate, our bodies, they're, they're not made for shame and guilt. They're made to reflect the glory of God. And the glory of God is always embracing physical intimacy every time. That is good news. That's really good news. Let's live that out. So how do we live it out? Uh, I'm going back to Tina, and Tina Shermer-Sellers says, we do four things, and she says, we frame, name, claim, and aim. I like that. We're not going to aim today, because like I said, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about our new sexual ethic. Today, we're just going to shame. So we're going to go for the first three. Frame. Frame is all about education. So here's the thing. As a church, as a just and generous church, the expression of Jesus Christ, and if the expression of Jesus Christ is to restore physical intimacy and embrace it, then let's start talking about it. Can we talk about physical intimacy? Can we talk about sex? Can we talk about the shame you might feel? Can we do it with each other? Can we talk about it with each other? Can we do that? I know we have small groups, and if you're not a part of a small group, join them. Because our small groups are going to start talking about Tina's book, about sex, about God, and about a new sexual ethic that honors God and the good ways that embraces that shame. Be a part of that. We have a panel coming up, a panel where four or five of our church members are going to talk about their sexual intimacy, about shame, and about how it's been restored for them. Let's attend that. Let's go to that. Let's not be afraid. Let's not make this taboo. For parents, for the sake of our kids, let's not make this taboo. When our kids start talking about it, or start saying, wow, this feels good when I do this thing, let's go, yeah, it does feel good. Right? Let's start, let's start affirming it. Talking about it, being a part of it. That's what it means to free. We're going to start opening ourselves up to this. And I want to encourage us to start today. What does it mean to name? Uh, to name, it means, uh, it's a bit like confession. Bit like confession. And so I'll confess, right? Out of my uh, sexual guilt or, or, or my sexual shame, there have been times in my life where I have used other people for my gratitude, for my pleasure. That's happened. And that's not what God intends. That's 
not what God intends at all. And I think we have to be honest about the ways that we have fallen short and have used others because of our shame and our guilt issues. And I think we have to own up to those things. And we're sure, we could say all day long, well, I had a ton of guilt, I had a ton of shame, and it's true. But at the same time, we could say, but I've also used that in the wrong ways, and I've hurt people because of it. Men in the room, I don't think I'm alone. I don't think I'm alone in this. And so men in the room, I think the most important thing we can do is say we're sorry for all the times we've used, consumed, because, oh, it's just guys being guys, right? It's stop. We can remember that everybody we come across reflects the glory of God in their bodies. I think that's what it means to name. And what's the last thing? Here's the last thing I want to do. And Judy did this a couple weeks ago when she spoke. She said, everybody write down the lies you tell yourself about your body. That's what she said. Today what I want to do is I want to claim the goodness of God, that our bodies reflect the goodness of God, right? If we're women, our bodies reflect the goodness of God, right? If, if we're LGBTQIA identifying, our bodies reflect the goodness of God. We, our bodies reflect the goodness of God. Let's have gratitude for that. So you have a little note on your seat. A little index card, some of you have a post-it note. And what I want you to do today is I want you to write down what kind of gratitude you have surrounding your body, surrounding your physical desires, surrounding intimacy. What are the good things? What are the things you can accept about yourself? I want you to take a minute to write it down. And when you write it down, I want you to put it in your pocket. Here's why I want you to put it in your pocket, because you're going to forget about it. And then late at night or whenever, you're going to come home, you're going to pull this stuff out of, out of your pocket or out of your purse or whatever it might be, and you're going to see it again. And that's how we're going to start. Oh yeah, my body is made to reflect the glory of God. My desires are made to reflect the glory of God. My physical body is not this temporary thing. It's the thing that God created. And we remind ourselves of that daily. That our God comes as Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ's entire life says that our shame is a lie. And Jesus Christ's entire ministry embraces physical intimacy, restores physical intimacy, and eradicates any shame we might feel. Amen? Alright, let's pray. God, thank you for making us the way you made us. Thank you for making our bodies and thank you for making us that way. Thank you that you have given us desires, physical desires, sexual desires. Thank you, God. And God, we thank you for the grace that comes that reminds us that our shame is alive. We thank you for the grace that reminds us that we are made to reflect your glory. And so, God, give us the courage to be intimate in that way, connect in that way, to love in that way. Pray this all in your name.